Welcome to Because I Want to Know, the podcast where we get into people's heads and find out how their choices in life has affected them. My name is Leslie Fear. I'm your host. So let's get into it, shall we? Hey, everyone. Today I'm with Dr. Mary Helen Hensley. She's a near-death experiencer. She's a healer, a motivational speaker, and an author. Welcome to the show, Mary Helen. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be here. I am so happy to have you on my show. I tell you, I have been listening to your interviews. I think I've listened to about five of them so far. And some (laughs) of them are like two hours long. And I just can't stop listening to your story, how you do what you do now. Can you tell my listeners, first of all, what your abilities are? And then we're going to talk a little bit about your story. Okay. Uh, Basically, it's like being able to download somebody's hard drive. So you bypass all the BS and, you know, understanding that the, that the human experience is a a mind, body and spiritual experience and people get so stuck into their head and, you know, they do their therapies and they read their books and they go to their courses and they get their head around their, their life traumas and they think they've moved on yet these patterns tend to repeat. And what I'm able to do is basically kind of bypass all of that go into the frequency aspect of what's happening with them, show it to them. You know, look, any healer, I I always say a healer's like a window washer. You know, we're just wiping the windows clean. The the individual, the goal ultimately is that the person heals themselves. And, you know, so a healer worth their salt, I think, is someone who's able to go in, facilitate removing the blockages that are in the way, and then letting that person find their own way out. Right. Now, listen, to my listeners, you are from Virginia, mm-hmm. but you also, actually, you live in Ireland, but I think you spend half your year there and half your year in LA. So I bet it's very fun to have all these people in Ireland going, okay, you're not from here, but your daughters probably sound like they're Irish. Is that correct? They do, yeah. Well, they're both in performing arts school. So on any given day, there could be a British accent, there could be a Kiwi accent, there could be a, a Southern draw. And uh, so that's really fun. But yeah, I'm a, you know, you don't get rid of a Southern accent. I've lived in Ireland for 22 years. And, you know, while I would have picked up a lot of the lingo as far as when I'm referring to things like the bin instead of the trash can, um, you don't lose a Southern accent. It's just, it's in there for good. It is. Yep. I heard that. No. And I'm from Dallas, so you know how that is. Okay. So back to what you can do. Tell my listeners, well, first of all, I know you already had abilities as a young child and then something changed and I'm not going to tell them what it is because I'd like for you to tell them that made you what you are today, the author you are today, the healer you are today, the chiropractor you are today, and the near-death experiencer you are today. Yeah, well, it literally, you know, it, it was a dark and stormy night. Yeah. Um, <laughs> back in February of 1969, where it starts really is in the womb, which is interesting because my mother, she was in her 40s. I was the fourth child to come along. And when she was pregnant with me, my parents got called into the doctor and he said, listen, folks, this is not great news because my mom had contracted the German measles. And so oh, wow. this was in the first trimester of pregnancy. So basically the doctor said, look, this child isn't going to be okay. You need to kind of start prepping yourselves for what's to come. We don't know what way it's going to manifest as far as, is it going to be limb loss or blindness or, but they were literally given the, the worst case scenario. And wow, yeah. so my father was a Southern Baptist minister. And what was really interesting was the way that this all unfolded and his terminology. 
And during the course of my mother's pregnancy, after they had received that news, my dad got this visit and he called it a visit from celestial beings, not angels, like you would expect a preacher to say. Right. They were celestial beings. And that's all he could say. There were two. And he was told that not only was his daughter, remember, this is in the 60s, so there, you know, right. there's no ultrasound telling you the sex of the child, that not only would his daughter be okay, but she was going to come in with some unusual abilities. And so my father always hung on that. So when I was, from the time I was a very young child, he, he used to always call me promised. If there were, ever there was a problem or I was feeling down or whatever, he said, listen, you're promised. And that was how I got the, the title of my first book. But they kind of, you know, when I was born, there were no problems. And so it was you know, miraculous and wonderful. And they were always kind of watching out to see what would unfold because, you know, these beings had told my father that there would be unusual abilities. Right, right. And so it was when I was about four that I got called into the kitchen. It was the kitchen table talk. And my father was not only a minister, but he was a big American football coach and had, you know, he was this deep booming voice. And he sat down at the table and he, he said, um, Sugar, do you know the difference between alive and dead oh my goodness (laughs) like I'm four and I'm going uh and the reason that they had to finally ask the question was because my very best friend when I was young was my grandfather judge um he was Dr. Garland Clark we called him judge that was his nickname and he just he was always there for me always there as I you know when I was young and we would talk about just crazy stuff looking back at it you know stuff that would be far too meaty for a, a child that age but he would tell me why I was here and, you know, what I was doing and why he was here. And he had these same abilities and he would talk to me about them. And so, of course, I would bop in and I'd tell my mom and dad about him. And, you know, they'd look at each other and You're right. finally the kitchen table talk happens. And they reveal to me that my grandfather's been dead since I was one. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and so that's when it all kind of started getting a little freaky. Yeah. And so from that stage forward, you know, I was having dreams. So imagine now my dad's a minister, you know, and I'm like a little kid and I kind of walk in and I'm like, hey, dad, Mr. Jones is going to die on Tuesday. You know, and my dad's writing the eulogies. It was that kind of stuff. I would know things before they would happen. I would wow. have prophetic dreams. I would dream something and then it would take place. Um, and then of course, always and consistently, my grandfather judge was just, he was just there. And it's as real to me as my mother and father were. And it was really interesting as a young kid, because my perception of what reality is, was probably very different than the vast majority of anybody that I knew at that time, because the way I would see him was yet just another way that a spirit, a being, a person could be present in my life. And then I could have somebody who was sitting there physically holding my hand, but they were both real to me. Right, right. So growing up, it was challenging because my father, he didn't want me exploited or he didn't want people thinking I was weird or whatever his reasons were. He had said, I was always welcome to talk to my mother and to him about it, but that we would keep this a secret that we wouldn't tell anybody. And so it was really strange growing up because I had all these strange things happening and, you know, the only people I could tell were my parents. And you can imagine with my father's Christian background, with that upbringing, what I was telling them was very difficult on some occasions to fit inside of that box. You know, so as I became a teenager, the last thing you want to do is be different than everybody. Oh, right, right. Uh, 
And so as I grew through to my teenage years and I got into college, I started to actually become an insomniac because I began to realize, well, hang on a second. If I'm dreaming that this person is dying and they die, eventually the odds say that I'm going to dream about somebody in my family or somebody that I know. And so I really actually started avoiding sleep. And, you know, I would catnap here and there, but things still kept happening and things, things started amping up and other beings, you know, when I was in college, the parent, let's say, of someone living in my dorm might turn up or all sorts of things. But I was a cheerleader in college. Surprise! Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah. one of the funny things, the only person that I ever told at that stage was my roommate because, you know, she knew that something was up and I would, I would wake up or I would get up in the middle of the night and she's like, what's going on? And you know, somebody dead has just been in the room or whatever. And so I filled her in. And so we used to cheer and we would write down the scores to the basketball game and stick it in an envelope and we'd go cheer it at the game and then come back and crack open a beer and laugh at the score because it was a score. <laughs> wow. I mean, that's pretty cool. Pretty too bad. You can't do that for the lottery, huh? I know. And this was kind of at that stage in life, the extent of my service to humanity with these lovely abilities that I had. Right. So right. I'm getting ready to have my rebirth day here in 12 days, the so 12 days of Christmas. So on December oh, wow. 14th um, in 1991, I had just graduated college that May and I was dating somebody at the time. And, you know, of course, back then you, if you had a college sweetheart, you, you prepped to move on and, you know, you're picking out China patterns and silverware and, Um, I had moved to Charleston, South Carolina, where he was from, and I was working in a sign company with my big fat college degrees. I was mopping floors and um, (laughs) there was a Christmas party. And so on that day, I got into my car and I was preparing to drive into town, into Charleston for the party. And it was hot outside. I was wearing Bermuda shorts and a Santa Claus T-shirt and a Jingle Bell necklace. And so 90s, right? <laughs> so 90s. Oh, yeah. And I had the big hair. And oh, yeah. You know, red lips. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> oh, totally. Yeah. Take half a can of hairspray. I was good. So I get to a stoplight about less than two miles from the apartment where I lived. And I was sitting at a red light. And it was at a major intersection of Highway 17 in Charleston, South Carolina, which is a, a big highway. And so I sat at the red light for a while and then my light turned green and I started to make my way across the traffic. And when I got to the last lane, I looked left and there was a car that I knew wasn't going to stop. And it was an elderly gentleman who was driving the car and he'd actually nearly killed a couple earlier that year. He shouldn't have been driving. Oh, I'm wow. Glad he, I'm glad he was or my whole story wouldn't have unfolded oh, the way it did. Absolutely. So... In that moment, this is when everything changed in my world because time literally just ground to a halt. And I was very consciously aware in that moment that I had a choice and I could stay in my body and experience the impact if there was something I needed from that. Or I could go ahead and leave the body and then, you know, the body would get hit and I wouldn't have to be inside of it and experience the the impact. So, you know. That was going to hurt because he was going at an estimated 75 miles per hour. Wow. And so I took option B and out I went. And what was so fascinating was there was a sound. There was this drone, this this low vibration beneath mm. this. And so when I exited and I was up and out of the body, next thing I'm looking down and everything sped back up. And as it sped back up, I'm watching now that car plow into the side of my vehicle. Oh, my goodness. And it T-boned and into the driver's side and I watched my head go through the driver's side window 
And so that was when my neck broke and the seat folded up underneath me, you know, the windows blew out of the car and I'm spinning around the intersection. The body is anyway. And I'm watching this from above. And it was so interesting because this is where people always ask, oh, my gosh, you know, you're watching your own death. And, you know, are you not like going, no, no, you know, right, I'm too right young to die. Right. And what it was like and the best description I've ever been able to come up with is if someone is outside and they're working in, in, in the yard and it's you know, hot and sweaty and they've been working all day and they're all grubby and grimy and they come in and they peel off their dirty clothes and they throw them down by the washing machine and then they go have a shower and they're washing off all the dirt and the grime and it's wonderful. The last thing that they're thinking about is the clothes sitting next to the washing machine. Ooh, yeah. That's the best way I can describe what it's like leaving a body. You have an understanding for what the body's purpose was. And this is where it's really important for, for people who always think, you know, oh, we're human beings trying to reach enlightenment and have a spiritual experience. It's actually quite the opposite. We're spiritual beings who are literally tying our hands behind our back, limiting ourselves to five senses, stuffing ourselves into a meat suit and having a human experience. And that understanding in that moment is so clear. And so the last thing I was, was worried about was trying to get back into the body. It was just, wow, you know, there there it is. And that was 21, what a wild ride. Wow. Uh, 20, 21 years. And I literally sat and witnessed my own death. So did you feel that euphoric feeling yet? I mean, or were you just in the moment just watching everything from above yourself? Yeah. So, well, what's so interesting was the first thing that I noticed was, oh, my God, I'm still me. I still know who I am. I know exactly what just happened. So it's that sense of consciousness that the, that there's all of a sudden there's no question. Does the consciousness survive physical death? Because like I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, I know who I've just been. I'm watching this happen, but I'm not bothered. And it just seems so normal. And so I'm looking at this. And what was really interesting was I could see a girl that I'd gone to college with. Now, Charleston at that time, back in the 90s, was about 350,000 people. Mm -hmm. So the chances of her being a couple of cars behind me, you know, were slim. Right. There she was. And so I saw her recognize my car and then realize it was me. Mm. And I watched all of the, the traffic come to a halt and people get out of the car and I saw a lady come up and put her name through the window. The, the passenger side window was gone. And she, I guess, had been a witness to the accident, wrote her name and phone number down and stuck it. Imagine there's like a dead body in the car and she sticks her phone number on the front seat of the car. To me, to this day, <laughs> that's so that weird. cracks me up. <laughs> like, like, who does that? Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. But she obviously didn't want to stay or had somewhere else to be or whatever, but like literally put her phone number on the front seat of the car and I'm like dead. And... <laughs> And so then I saw um, a guy in a uniform reach in through the passenger side and turn the car off so the engine wouldn't blow. Wow. And then at that stage, that was when everything began to change. So it went from that tone, that low drone, to the most beautiful music, the music of the spheres that Mm. you can imagine. I've never heard Mm. anything like it here. I've been looking for it my whole life, trying to recreate it. But it was absolutely glorious. And so this was my tunnel of light moment, but except for there was no tunnel and I was there watching the accident in one second and then bang, I was somewhere else accompanied by that. It was the frequency, the raising of that vibration that took me from the plane of being able to witness what was happening on earth beneath me into the different space. So it was a raising of the vibration that took me out of here. 
Okay, gotcha. Right. Yeah, no, it is. Especially if that's what this is. If if we're pretty much energy is what I've heard you say in many, many talks that you have. If that's what we are, then it's, I guess we are just, you know, some kind of vibration or whatever it is. I mean, it's just that part's very fascinating to me. And I, I want to know your, your, your thoughts on that. I mean, is, is that really what we are? (laughs) We're tethered here by that, you know, frequency and light. You know, we're just, we're all just different points on the same beam. And this was just amazing because in that moment, it's like the veil is lifted and you're suddenly aware of who and what you really are. And it's a whole lot of ahas and a whole lot of oh yes, because it's like, you know, there you are, uh, like I say, freshly dead. Right. Suddenly you realize that we're all just fractals of the same whole who are just perceiving the earth experience through different sets of eyes, but that ultimately we're coming back from, you know, we're, we're returning back into that same vibration. We've literally shattered into zillions of pieces in order to experience ourselves in different ways. And that's how the presence of, of the Supreme being or God or whatever you want to call it is in all places at once. Speak, wow. Okay. So, you're saying we're all a fraction of the same whole. I, I kind of get that, but I think that's a time thing too. And see, so you had to take physics and biology in your later years when you got your doctorate. <laughs> so. I had the skin of my teeth. If you want to know that there is a divine hand at play, that was it. Girl, take an cause... art major and throw her in physics and organic chemistry. Oh, you and I are both so right brain. There's no way. I, I can't even, my head would explode. So I don't even know how you got through it, girl. Um, many head explosions. <laughs> <laughs> but there is a quantum physics thing to this, is am I right? Oh, absolutely. You know, absolutely. And so suddenly you're realizing as you're having these great ahas and you're saying, oh, okay, that's how this works. Oh, okay, I understand now. And it's like all of the inhibitions, all of the fear, it just simply doesn't exist because you're not capable of having anything but just absolute understanding, gratitude, love, and appreciation for the experience that you've just had. Right. It all just falls by the wayside. Any Anything that's not serving the, the idea that you're there by your own design. Right. And, and I do believe that we do come here with an intention of what kind of life we want to live. I mean, I've heard that over and over and over, not only just from you, but from other people that I've interviewed and just things that I've, I've read. Because I do think we decide, hey, you know, I don't know if we necessarily have a talk with God or whoever our creator is. I think it's God. Um, hey, I want to know what it's like to, like you said, be in a car accident and, and die. Or I want to learn what it's like to have parents that aren't really present in my life and see how I react to that. Those kinds of things. And just like you said in earlier interviews, you're like, why would I want that? Why would I want to, you know, have a near-death experience in a car accident? Who would want that? But you're not the same kind of person up there that you are in your three-dimensional form here, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so when people go, I would never choose this cancer. I would never have chosen for my husband to cheat on me. I would have never chosen to have lost a child at birth. I would never have chosen these things. And when people are operating from a space of, of grief and angst and anxiety, it's actually a vibration that's measurable. It's 396 hertz. Oh, and wow. so what happens is those feelings, those vibrations will keep you grounded in that human experience. But once you've risen out of that, it all makes complete 
complete sense and you realize that, you know, it, we are eternal. There is, just because there's the death of the physical body, you know, of somebody that we love, the idea that, that we've come in and we've, we've literally played these parts for one another as we experience ourselves in so many different ways, it, it all starts to make sense again. And uh, it, it's, it's the big wow. And for me, coming back into the body and coming back into the same body and the challenges that that presented, you know, I just walk through with utter gratitude for the fact of every little ache and pain that I have, every little injury, because I'm still here. I'm still feeling. I'm still viable. I'm still contributing. And so different people get into to different zones in their life where you know, if they're incapacitated in some way or, you know, they've put on 50 pounds or they've done that, you know, we have this human thing that makes us feel like we're no longer worthy in some way or that we've, we've had so many bad experiences or, you know, the things that have happened to us in some way diminish our contribution as people. This is right. when you realize, oh, my gosh, it's the exact opposite. And you realize that every person, every individual, it's like, you know, when I'm working with my kids, the autistic kids and the families, they are going, guys, you, do you realize that you are sitting in the presence of greatness? The being that's coming here to be this child, that child is not here. That spirit is not occupying that body for you to try to change them. They're there to allow you to change yourselves around the concept of what it means to be important, what it means to be a contributor, what it means to be a spiritual being having a human experience. And that right there blows me away. Because if you really think about it, how can it not be that? How, how why would, it, how could it not be that? How could it not be that? I would never choose to come in this world with a handicap. I would never choose to come. Yeah, you would. You know why? Because whether you in that body are experiencing it probably on a soul level, you would, but for someone else to gain from it, why wouldn't you do that? No, exactly. That's, you know, I look back to, you know, when I was 17 years old, I went through a situation where I was raped and I can talk to you about that, like the glass of water sitting in front of me. I don't have any emotional charge to that other than absolute gratitude, joy, and excitement. And people are like, you're nuts. And I'm like, I'm not nuts at all because I have this unwaverable, immovable understanding that I am not my body. And the experience that happened to my body has allowed me for the, for, that was when I was 17. I'm 51 now. You can't even fathom the people whose lives I have been able to intervene with, guide, facilitate change and healing around that subject alone. No one can harm who you really are. Right. Well, and also you grew from that though. You let that go and you expanded it and helped others instead of holding it in, causing yourself to have some kind of medical issue, possibly cancer, because you never let it go. Exactly. And that's what I do now is I I use frequency and vibration to help people get out of that trauma response. And what happens oftentimes when people are not well or they're exhibiting, you know, either emotional distress or physical distress is they're actually stuck in a holding pattern. They're stuck in that trauma response, that fight or flight pattern. Intellectually, they might have done all the work and been to all the seminars and been to all the shrinks and they've gotten through that part of it. But Knowing something intellectually and owning it in the physical and energetic body are two very different things. Right. And here's the, here's an easy way to understand that. You and I both know that to maintain a really great bod, shouldn't we be working out every day? Shouldn't we do that every single day? I know, I'm a doctor. I know this. I talk to people about right. this every day of my life. Right. 
but do you see me in the gym every day? You do not. And I am honest about that. So that's the difference between knowing a concept and owning a concept. Owning a concept is making it a part of your daily practice of living. And it's true because, and and I'll just give you a quick scenario of what happened with me. Oh, I went through my entire twenties dating. I would date one guy, two years, another guy, three years, another guy, four years. And there were my twenties and it was all dysfunctional, not abusive, but just not good for me. And, you know, ruined the credit and just, and one of them cheated on me for years, all the things, right? But I thank every single one of them because I never would have recognized the man I'm married to, happily married to, and have been for 24 years. Exactly. I never would have recognized him. I never would have. Without that education and without that understanding of yourself and your own tendencies. And, you know, that's something that we do with every single interaction we have with another individual. Every single one brings a gift. And you are either in a space where you are able to receive that gift or you are in a space where you are going to turn around and blame everything that doesn't go right on the other rather than taking full ownership and responsibility for your part in that dynamic. And that's the synergy of interpersonal relationship. And we grow and we expand. And only with those trials and tribulations are you able to recognize something that is high vibration and and is good for you because that's not something that's just going to land in your lap. Right. You have to work for. Right. Now, let me ask you some stuff because I do want to get back to the part where, well, let's tell the audience why you got into chiropractic medicine and healing. Tell them what made you do that because this is actually kind of a funny story that you tell. (laughs) Well, you know, there you are. You've graduated college. Now you've been dead in a car accident. And so, you know, after breaking my neck and having my body smashed a bit, It was a chiropractor, Dr. Anthony Ross in Johns Island, South Carolina, who was, again, such a blessing that rather than just putting me back together and, you know, making his money and moving on and I was just another patient, he educated me. And what was so interesting was it was my grandfather, so the dead medical doctor, who said to me, it's going to be chiropractic. You're going to go through this process and you're going to go to school. And I went, I am not going back to school. I just just (laughs) spent the whole last 21 years of my life in school. Hell no, not happening. (laughs) He was like, we, and Judge always spoke in we's, he and his team, we need for you to go there because we need for you to have an understanding of the human form in a vitalistic way. And I didn't even know what that word meant. Yeah, you're like, like, what "What are you talking about? (laughs) So basically what he was describing was the fact that allopathic medicine, you know, it offers a a way of thinking. It offers a philosophy. It offers a, a way of approaching the human body. But the way that I would be unfolding in my life, it was essential that I understood how the body was here to serve the spirit as opposed to something that just breaks down and then we, you know, we remove pieces and parts and um, medicate it or do whatever. I needed to understand exactly how the body was designed to manifest different processes, different diseases, different things to serve where we are along the way. And, you know, this is where my understanding of how essential illness is to our process, because it is the big fat ding dong bell that lets us know Mm-hmm. It's, a tr- it's a truth meter. It's letting us know if we're congruent with our own paths, what we've come here to accomplish. And when we step offline, 
the body is there to raise the red flag to go, uh, 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 you need to have a look at this. You're spending way too much time focusing on other people here. Have a little breast cancer and start paying attention to yourself or here. You know, it's just it, it's incredible how the body is able to manifest certain physical states and emotional states in order to allow us to know where we are. Because I do think that our mindset has a lot to do with how our bodies react to us. Just like we're trying to react to everything around us, our bodies do the same dang thing. Exactly. Well, it's just like, I mean, we're living in the perfect year for it. You know, people laugh. My patients in the office, I just put up this beautiful new piece of artwork in my office called COVID. And oh. <laughs> uh, with the sense of humor that I have, I have two sculptures of the, the hand of God touching Adam, you know, the two hands coming together with the fingers. Right. And then I, I plunked my 3D fresco of COVID in between the two hands. And so here's this beautiful version of the virus. And it's this you know, sparkly, it's glittery, it's fabulous looking. And it looks like this burst of creation. And people are like, are you actually mad? And I said, <laughs> yeah. well, you actually COVID. had COVID. Yeah. COVID is simply an opportunity. And that's what this whole year has been for us. It's an opportunity for us, for some people, it's been a physical clean out. For some people, it's been a way out of earth. For other people, it has been a process where they took time off and they started spending more time at home or with their families or cleaning out those emails or cleaning out the garage. It's been a great big time of introspection and cleanup manifesting physically, spiritually, and emotionally for everybody it's touched. No, I totally agree with that. You know, because I... The older I get, the more I am more of an introvert. I used to be way more of an extrovert. And now I, I think writing does that. It kind of grounds you. I don't know if you felt the same way. I don't think you do. You're still pretty um, extroverted from what I can tell on your videos because you crack me up. <laughs> you crack me up. You were talking the other day. I was listening to your, I was watching your video and you were talking about this kid because you guys are on hard lockdown right now in Ireland. And you said you were going into, I think, to, to get your stitches out. And, yes, and you'll have yesterday. to, do, yeah, yes, yeah. And, and this, and you didn't have your mask on or, or I don't know, you had it on, but you took it off. And then he, I in guess my car. Yeah. I took it off in my car and I sneezed as I do every time I take the mask off because of the little, <laughs> you know, the little fibers. I was dying. I had to watch it twice because you're like, you know, he's right in the car next to me. I don't want to put the, you know, my phone camera on him because he's right there. But this he's, dude, he's, he's like 10 and he's <laughs> shaking his mask at me. And I'm like, are you actually kidding me? I'm, I was dying, man. So dying. It was so funny. Well, that's the thing. You are so funny and you're so real and blunt about everything. You don't, well, I love that because you don't hold back. You just tell us what you need to tell us. There's none of this you know, oh, it was so profound. And let me tell you about, you know, don't be wrong. Of course it was profound, but you also put it in a, in a way that we can all understand and relate to and go, wait a minute, I've kind of felt that way sometimes, or I've kind of felt this way on those days or whatever. I mean, I just talked to a medium uh, a couple weeks ago and I said, listen, my mother died three years ago and I sometimes lay down at night and I just go, hey mom, how you doing? And we just start talking. I don't know for sure if it's her. I'm not a psychic at all or medium or whatever you want to call it, clairvoyant. All I know is I feel like I'm having a conversation with her. <laughs> and see, that's ultimately what it boils down to because all we are is feeling. Yeah, I mean, I, I know I know her personality and I know the things that she would say back to me and I just let it go. I just start talking to her. And it alters your state of being. It changes the way that you feel. You feel lifted. You I feel do. Connected. I and do. And isn't, isn't that the ultimate, the ultimate goal? And 
you know, my theme through this whole life so far has been, you already are that which you seek. And so all of my work revolves around showing people that you're not trying to attain some kind of spiritual connection and enlightenment. You already are that. You came here to get down and dirty and go through all of the challenges. And that's the hardest part for people to get their heads around because, you know, if they've had whatever tragedy, fill in the blank, you know, people have them. We've all had them. Right. Um, but you're either the type who focuses on the fact that all, all things bad happen to you or, or how could I possibly be whole again after X, Y, or Z happened to me? Or you're here with an understanding that these experiences are not happening to you, but for you. And it's all about what you're going to do with that. And so humor is the best way to connect with people because ultimately we can all, you know, we share that in common, that that ability to laugh at ourselves. And when you can go in, you know, spiritual me is going to be on a live FaceTime video you know, back in March when I had COVID. I went, you know what, the best the best way to serve everybody right now is let them see what this looks like. Because nobody I knew at that stage, I was one of the early ones. Right. Um, nobody I knew had it. So I got on and I was, you know, my, with my snotty nose and bags under my eyes. And I'm like, okay, guys, I'm still alive. Here it is. This is what it looks like today. And I was able to deconstruct the virus in front and add in my own theories and ideas about what was actually happening. And it really touched and helped a lot of people through that time, just being real. Right. And I actually interviewed a woman who had it because at the time I hadn't really known anyone personally. I think people also can, you know, God did give us a brain. And if you do have underlying conditions or whatever, you know, be careful. That's all. I mean, if, you, if you're going to get it, you're going to get it, right? But hopefully if you've got Absolutely. a brain, yeah, and you have the wherewithal and not have to go to work. Some people have to go to work and some people have to do things. We all have to go do things. My life hasn't changed much because I pretty much stayed home anyway. So, <laughs> you know, well, but I mean, the big thing with that, that I found in the beginning, Leslie, was the, the idea that the people who were faring well and the people who got out of it are the people whose bodies, minds, lifestyles were less acidic. So COVID is most definitely something that deals with the acidity of the human body. And it's oh. a great big a great big opportunity for people to step back and reevaluate what's going on. And so I was telling people from the beginning, guys, I think there's something to do with the alkalinity and acidity level in the body. I started talking about I, I was taking this is back in March when people really just didn't know. Right. And I said, This has there's got to be an element of vitamin D to this. I was taking zinc with tonic water and I got myself through this by keeping myself alkaline. You know, it was just utterly fascinating to me that at the same time, you know, for instance, my mom, she's 91. Um, she had COVID and she got through it. Um, wow. She has the most beautiful disposition of any human being you'd ever meet. And I know that that's, that's exactly what got her through that. And she has underlying conditions and she's 91. So I don't think it's just an underlying condition thing. I think it's the fact that we had to really sit back and evaluate the idea that the devil's playground is this love that we have for drama. And so what's the first thing? Oh, well, we'd almost sigh with relief when we heard that the person who died had underlying conditions. And then what happens is we'd hear like, oh, my gosh, you know, the nurse in the hospital, she was only 28 and she didn't have any underlying conditions and she died. And I'm going, this is crazy because we've spent so much time educating ourselves and talking about mental health and well-being. And like it's so easy to point the finger and go, oh, she didn't have any physical stuff. But how do you know that she didn't just lose a parent or she didn't just go through a horrendous divorce or she had the debt of the world weighing her down from her student loans? We don't know that, yet we jump to the conclusion that just because she didn't have any 
physical underlying symptoms. We're such hypocrites when it comes to that because we profess to believe that we are a, a mind, a body, and a spirit. Yet when, when it hits the fan, we like to point at what's the, the biggest news, the, the biggest headline, the biggest drama. And that's not how this operates. You know, so for me, with my understanding, I think I got through COVID the way that I did because I, I take good care of myself. And because, you know, I have that understanding of what would keep my body not acidic and keep it in an alkaline state. And my, my sense of understanding that I can't just sit here and tell people that I know that I am here for a purpose. And I know that I'm not finished with what I came here to do. End of story. And there's nothing. There's not a plane crash, a bus running me over, a, a, a new virus. Nothing is going to stop that until I am ready to go. And for some people, that might be a, an unconscious thing. And for other people, it might be a conscious knowing. But for all of us, what we have in common is the fact that you are going to be here until you are ready to go from here. Right, and right. This is, you know, this is why one person can smoke for 10 years and get lung cancer. And another person could be lighting their cigarette off of their 100th birthday candle. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's so true because I, it was like out of the blue when my mother was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And all the, you know, and six months later, she was gone. And then now listening to what you have to say on your other podcasts that you've been on, talking about people can manifest this. I wonder if that's what happened with her. I'm not even wondering now. I'm thinking that's kind of maybe what happened with her. She kind of had a hard life. Yeah. And she was done, you know, and it, it doesn't work like that some of the times. That is ironclad spiritual law. We are the creator's of our own experience. And so what's really important that I'd like to say here for people, especially if anyone out there has lost someone that they're close to, that they love. And, you know, if it was through tragic circumstances, well, that's great. If you're talking about somebody who's dying of a disease or whatever, but my son was murdered. Let me tell you what happens in every situation. What I experienced in that car accident where time grinds to a halt, that happens in every situation. And so every soul occupying every body has the opportunity in that moment of death to experience the death exactly the way that they want to. Mm. This is very hard for someone to hear when they have lost someone tragically. Right. But it is across the board, not just when it suits us, it's always. And so when people understand that in a, in a circumstance, let's say where if somebody was murdered, that a soul can literally drop that body at the time of that murder and be out before there's even any trauma associated with that, or if the soul needs the experience, because what we have to remember is, you know, we're, we're living concurrent lifetimes. When we speak about past lives and people love to talk about past lives and I write about it in a way that's easily digestible for people. But the reality of it is it's like a merry-go-round. Our lifetimes are happening simultaneously, concurrently. And we are out there as fractals of that same whole gathering information. We're like little scientists going out and, and getting information from each different lifetime. Therefore, you could be the person who is being murdered, but you could also be the one who is murdering. So when somebody says, oh, I'd never do that. Really? No, oh, I'd, I, let me judge that person for what they're doing right now because I'd never do that. Well, let me tell you, if I walked into my house and somebody was attacking one of my children, I would become a murderer in five seconds flat. No problem. Right. And it's the kind of thing that you just don't you don't judge other people's experiences here. And, you know, there's a story that I think is really important because it's, it's a difficult one for for people to read or hear. 
And it was a guy that I was working with that I called Edmund. And he had come to me. He had been and he was very honest and upfront when he came in. And he had been in prison for almost 30 years. Mm-hmm. And so his entire adult life. And he really, really wanted to get to the bottom of what was going on because after all of the rehab, after all of the time spent with counselors and and all while he was serving his prison sentence, he had the same feelings, the same urges. And that's why he came to me because intellectually, he knew they were wrong. He loathed them. He loathed himself, but he could not deny that he had these urges and Edmund had been a convicted pedophile. Mm, and that's where mm-hmm. a lot of people stop. Whoop, that's it. Nope. Child abuser. Nope. 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 I don't want to hear anything else. And we were able to get to the bottom of where the urges came from. And it was an experience that had not happened in this lifetime. It was in a different lifetime where he, as a soldier had been encouraged because the group of people that he was helping to imprison were considered low life, secondary citizens, you know, dogs in his society. Mm. It was encouraged for them to rape and abuse whoever they could get their hands on, men, women, children, you know? Wow. And there was an aspect of that trauma that was presenting itself in his current life cellular memory. And so to a man who was well-educated and who understood that this was morally and, and emotionally wrong and and absolutely horrible he couldn't stop the feeling and what do you say to someone like that well you're just a psycho he's not just a psycho what was happening was the imprint of a cellular memory from a different experience was overtaking his current time reality right and when we were, when we were able to get to the bottom of that and we were able to diffuse that with frequency his entire life changed in every great religion across the board aren't we supposed to love them all There's no exceptions. There's no yeah buts. Love them all. And it's finding a way to do that. Well, we hear about God saying, you know, we've all heard God loves you 10 billion times more than you even love your own children. So it's not like, oh, sorry, Leslie, you murdered someone. So bye-bye. Got to go to hell. You know, I'm, I, I can't, I don't, I don't believe that either. So I totally get, and you know, what I like about that man's story is he knew enough to go get help. At least he didn't just blow it off and keep doing it. Even though he'd been imprisoned and knew he could probably go back, he went to someone to get help. Yep, exactly. Well, he knew something wasn't right. And I just find it a fascinating story because, you know, as someone who I'm a mother and the idea, you know, when I had my hands on his head and I sat there and that story began to unfold, you know, I really had to fight the instinct to, to want to strangle him. But I'm here to serve without exception whoever crosses my path. Right. And that is, you know, you don't get to just pick and choose the easy ones. You don't just get to pick and choose the people who all think the same way that you do or agree with everything that you say or who've had the easier traumas in life to deal with. It means love them all. I mean, we all want to just strangle them, like you said. But I mean, at the end of the day, we're all humans and we're all here experiencing our lives. But let me ask you something. Can you do this only in physical with someone or do you do this over Skype or over a phone call? How do you do this? In all ways, because the beauty of, you know, you're sitting in Texas right now and I'm sitting in Ireland and we're talking in present time. Right. And 
people have no problem with understanding that, you know, it's literally a, a signal that's being bounced out of your, your device up to a satellite down to my device. And it's a pure frequency. It's a simple frequency that's allowing us to communicate in present time. And so because that's all we are, it's frequency light and a lot of water. Um, we are right. able to communicate in that same way with the energetic or physical or cellular body with another individual. And it's as simple as that. And I've literally spent my entire adult life refining the ability to be able to connect in with somebody like that. And that's, you know, we say, oh, it's the, it's the wave of the future. Frequency medicine, vibrational medicine is the wave of the future. It's been with us always. It's just that we go through these peaks and valleys of thinking that we're so fabulous with our technology and our, our machinery and the things that we can do to interact with the human body when really it is literally a thought. And so you can get life-changing results with somebody by connecting into a frequency. And it's somebody you said that you sing, you know, if you sing every single day, you're going to be a good singer. I do this every single day of my life. Therefore, I'm really good with connecting with frequency. I'm so blown away. So you can do it remotely. You don't have to have someone in your office. And usually what I do when I'm teaching is, you know, when I'm doing that remotely, we'll get to the, quickly get to the bottom of their problem and all. And then I'm dying to teach them how I give them a new toolbox, how they can use this in every single day of their life. So like when, you know, when, if you see one of my kids, if one of them has a headache or if, if somebody's feeling down or whatever, they don't come and look for a tablet or, or whatever, you'll see them, the earphones will go in and they know how to use frequency and they know how to change the state that they're in by using certain frequencies. And so think of that, that's a wave of the future. That's something amazing where imagine giving a child, giving an adult the capacity to connect into the frequency of what they are experiencing in present time and actually changing their state. I totally believe that. And I think music, and I think you actually do have a new CD coming out or it already is out about the frequency in music. Yeah, it's actually a download. It's on my website and it's called Laramar Dreams. And this is a, a culmination of years of work with a musical and frequency genius in Los Angeles named Greg Papagna. And, you know, basically what was happening over the, over the many years that I've been working in healing is I'd be like, Hey, you know, gosh, that brain tumor sounds like that other brain tumor. Here's the, here's the pitch. Here's the frequency. That emotional state sounds like that emotional state because I have something called synesthesia. So it means if I touch or feel a cancer, I can hear it. Um, oh, wow. It's one of those kind of freaky things that came back after being re rewired after that accident. I can taste an emotion. I can see a movie in my mind of a different life experience that's causing a blockage in the person's present time. And so while they might not be able to do that part, they can do the frequency. And so we have created all of these tones and frequencies that people can use for different things from everything from cancer to sleep to emotional states of distress to better communication to working with you know acute injury uh chronic illness i mean literally there's a frequency for everything and so we know scientifically that the human body is made up of over 70 percent of water we've also seen through many physics experiments now that you can alter by vibration by thought by focus, you can alter the chemical makeup of a droplet of water. And so when you, when you apply that scientific knowledge to the fact that if we use frequency in order to interact with the human body the same way, we can literally reconstruct, we can change our actual DNA. Wow. That was a lot of unpacking, girl, and I loved it. So, <laughs> okay, but I do have just some regular questions that you, I don't even know if you ever get asked these, but I'm going to ask anyway, because you have the ability to probably tell me yes or no. Okay. Why, why are there ghosts? Why do people hang around? 
Is it, are they real? Are they just visiting or is it residual? What is that? You know, you hear all these ghost hunters and all that, and you're in Ireland, so you have a lot older buildings and fortresses and all those things that we ever have here. What is your take on that? Okay, well, first of all, I don't pretend to know the answer to everything because uh, <laughs> at, at this stage in life, every time I think I've seen it all, I see something new. But after many years of living with this enhanced ability to feel or see these things, it's not necessarily that something is trapped here. So like, or that something is haunting here. I had the most incredible experience that explained this to me when I was actually on board the Queen Mary um, in Los Angeles. Oh, nice. Okay. And it was a very unexpected visit from none other than Winston Churchill. And that had been a ship that had been a favorite of his. Really? And a place where people had reported seeing him, smelling his cigar smoke. And, you know, it's a great pride of the ship that Winston Churchill haunts this ship. And, you know, there were several other deaths on there and several other ghosts that many, many people have seen. And the way it was explained to me was it was so amazing. It was like those who have interacted with the earth plane and, you know, have something invested here, something that, that was important to them, like for him, for instance, that ship. What happens is this is, again, a frequency thing where someone can come on board and they have a frequency of expectation, a frequency of wanting to connect with something paranormal or something that's like a haunting or seeing a ghost or whatever. And that that frequency, that vibration can actually trip another frequency that's there. It's almost like an amusement park. It's like a spiritual amusement park where if you hit a certain resonance, that it triggers a certain response. So you see the little girl with the big red bow who drowned in the swimming pool in the 50s walking down the hallway. Is that that little girl trapped on the Queen Mary? No. What you're seeing is a vibrational footprint. You're seeing a footprint of expectation of something that you might like to interact with. Or if somebody goes, I don't want to see it. I don't want to see it. They may or may not see that based on what they need to see. And so it's like there is, it's like getting an answering machine. You know, you're not speaking to the actual person. You're speaking to a recording of the person. And so in many cases where you've got paranormal activity that's playing out and it's that same kind of, oh, it's very dark and scary. Yeah. And that's, it's like a program that's running and you step in and interact with that program. So from my experience, and again, like I said, I'm still going, I'm still learning, I'm still seeing things that change my perception every single day. But from what I see, it's not so much that something is trapped here as opposed to something has left a footprint here that you're able to connect with vibrationally. So these ghosts, they're like, oh, the lady in white, the lady in blue, they're all trapped here. No, they're not trapped. It's like a residual maybe? Is that kind of what it is then? Yeah, it's like you're walking into a film. You're walking in and seeing a footprint of something that took place there. Okay, let me ask you this. What do you think about dark entities or people that get possessed or whatever? Um, what do you think about those kinds of things? I, I deal with it on a daily basis. What? That's part of the, the dichotomy of the earth plane. And what's so beautiful about this place that makes it so unique to any any other place in the in the cosmos is that, you know, we're always talking about duality and the dichotomy of dark and light, and we want to evolve out of that and make Earth a place of, of light and wonderfulness. And that's not what this playground is set up for. This is a place where souls come to experience simultaneous darkness and light. Let me explain. Someone could have lost a parent the week before they give birth to their child. They are simultaneously experiencing the grief of loss and the joy of the birth. 
Right. And the earth plane is set up for us to experience that way. And therefore, without that darkness, we can't see the light the same way. We can't experience the joy in the same way. It's not supposed to be you know, the white picket fence and the 2.5 kids and the dogs and the it, everything isn't supposed to be like that. That's Disney World. And the darkness that comes into our lives and the difficult experiences or the, the listen, I've seen people who looked possessed and then you just stand there and watch them and go, are you done yet? <laughs> I have literally watched that play out where somebody's hissing and cursing and you know and floating off a table i've seen it i've watched oh my gosh stand there and go are you quite finished because i'm hungry and my sandwich is sitting out there i gotta go how does that not freak you out i don't even (laughs) because i've dealt with it so often and because i don't give it any fear none whatsoever i know that nothing can harm who i really am nothing right okay and so I understand that the experience takes place. And, you know, when we talk about people who have entity attachments and everything becomes so cliche and it's, we try to compartmentalize it into these nice little boxes and they don't fit. And people have to go through these experiences the same way that somebody would experience a possession or an entity attachment is the same as somebody experiencing an illness. They needed it on a more emotional experience as, as opposed to a more physical experience. And so it, the dark and the light manifest themselves in different ways. And so dark energy and attachments and all that kind of stuff fall in that category. So, so they are real. It's not something that's not real. No, absolutely not. But is it generated from our fear? Is it generated from our negativity or is it something out there? And then our vibration that we put out, that's where the law of attraction actually works. Mm -hmm. You know, we Mm -hmm. get this great idea that the law of attraction is about manifesting abundance and love and everything that we do. The law of attraction is attracting in exactly that which we need in order to move forward with the lives that we came here to create. And that includes the hard stuff. That includes the ugly stuff. That includes the joy. That includes the the bliss. All of it is part of that package. We've gotten so accustomed to, you know, we're we're feel good folks. We just want to feel good all the time. You know, oh, I got a headache. Well, God forbid, I sit down and ask myself why. You know, have I had enough water to drink today? Let me just pop a pill and, and get rid of that headache. And then we don't pay any attention to what the body's trying to say to us. And so that darkness does the same thing for us. You know, there are there are ideas, there are concepts that souls come here to learn and they might be off track and not doing that. And that attachment or that possession or that, that's all part of getting the person back into focus that they accomplish what they came here. And some of that, what they came here to accomplish might be understanding humans and their interactions with the dark and light. Well, that's very true. All right, let me ask you this. You're in Ireland. Tell me what you think about fairies. It's a different vibration, you know? So people are like, there's 90% of the population would tell you that they've never physically seen a fairy, yet 90% would also tell you that they believe they're there. Oh, I know. Yeah, yeah. The fae folk would be a vibrational thing. So just because you can't see it on this plane, just because it's not physical, like the piano that I'm looking at right now or, or the chair that I'm sitting in, just because people can't connect in and see it on a physical plane doesn't mean it doesn't exist because there are many, many planes of reality within this earth dimension well that makes sense and just like with um like a bigfoot situation i mean just because we can't see it i listen to graveyard tales it's another podcast and one of the guys he has a theory on it he thinks they kind of come and go in their own realms and that's why they're interdimensional that's exactly what he said is that do you think that's true 
Absolutely. I know it's true. Okay. Well, there you go. So they are real. It's just, we just, he thinks they die in their own dimension too. I, well, we're getting into the woo woo stuff. I just wanted to ask you. Anybody who has trouble getting their head around that, look at where you were this time last year. Did you ever in a million years think that what would have unfolded in 2020 would have unfolded? No, no. you've literally seen a shift from a third dimension. We blew right past four yeah. and we moved <laughs> into a 5D experience. The world does not look the same. And for some people, that's absolute devastation and it's awful and they're drowning in their sorrows and, you know, it's just the most horrible thing in the world. And for other people, it has been a pure time of creation. I've had the best year of my life. And it's all about the way that you approach that. And so we've literally moved into a space where we understand, you know, that we're physical, spiritual, emotional beings, but that there's another element to that. And what that element is, is choice. And choice is now being placed in front of us in a way that we've never seen in history before. Well, let me ask, let me ask you this. Okay. Aliens and, and all that. I mean, I, I can't imagine we're the only people in this universe. Um, what do you? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And again, um, it, it's interdimensional. It, a lot of what people see is actually what we would classify under the category of time travel, which is literally just bending time. Um, and they would have seen those coming in from different times that would look more futuristic or look more as from the past. And then there are definitely other experiences other than the earth experience. And so we have fellow travelers all throughout the universe who, who can nip in and out. Like if they were, if they were here to harm us, we'd be long gone guys, long gone. That's what I was kind of thinking. It's kind of like how I liken it too is, Hey, look up at the sky at night and if you can see stars a lot of people can't because they live in cities but we actually have a little ranch that's about an hour outside of Dallas Fort Worth and you can see the stars so beautifully at night but I know some of those stars are no longer there but they will still be there for another million years for me to look at but they're long gone exactly right okay good because I wanted to make sure I was getting it right (laughs) well I am so incredibly grateful to talk to you and I have loved every second I can't believe an hour has gone by I don't even know if you know that um I know um, but I do I'm telling you I'm so fascinated by you um so please tell everyone about everything that you have going on with you I know you have new books that have come out your mom has a book that's come out tell tell us I know I'm so excited she's 91 tell everybody yeah Yeah. how to get a hold it's been a really great year for that um So mom's book is called His Own Simple Gift, and it was actually a poem that we found. My daughter had cleaned off a portion of her dresser in her bedroom that hadn't been touched in I don't know how long, but my mom opened this jewelry box, and in this hidden pocket was a poem she'd written in 1951, and she's 91 now. Oh, wow. She just went, this is really relevant to this time. I think we should publish this, and I went, Okay, let's do it. Wow. It's it's out now, and um, we're just super excited about that. So in Europe and uh, Ireland, UK, it can. we're trying to support, and this is why I love this woman so much, because she really wanted to be conscious of supporting small business. And so in over here on my side of the, of, of the world, it can be found at bookhubpublishing.com. Okay. And in America, it can be found with a small black-owned business in Martinsville, Virginia. 
that oh. my mom wanted to run everything through in order to literally put her money where her mouth is. She wanted to support her community. She wanted to support the movement that's been very prominent this year. So she's running everything through a beautiful little bookstore in Martinsville, Virginia called Books and Crannies, run by a fabulous woman named Ashanta Harrison. Mm, and so my right. mom is asking everybody in North America to order through Books and Crannies in order to support not only Black-owned business, but small business across the board. Absolutely. And I'll add all of this stuff on my show notes, but tell us a little bit more about your newest book that just came out and, and of course, your website. and the man Yes. Yes. So Hugh is the first in a series that I've written, and it's very different for me because, you know, I'm a, I, I'm a nonfiction writer. I write about life after death, and, you know, while some people might think that's fiction, it's very real for me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so I, I broke away from that for a while and wrote Hugh and the Manatee, and it's the first in a series for ages 9 to 12, but really it's kind of for everybody. It's a beautiful story, and it is so that every child can see themselves in a book. And so Hugh's a little boy who loves musical theater and singing, and he's captain of his swim team, and he's, he loves sparkles and glitz, and he, he likes to paint his toenails. And he's had the same two bullies all through school, and they catch him down by the springs with his shoes off, and he's got pink toenails, and they are just relentless and awful to him. And up from the water comes a, a magical manatee and puts Hugh in a bubble and puts the two girls in a bubble and takes them on an undersea adventure and uses all of the beautiful examples of underwater creatures that are gender fluid. And, you know, like the daddy seahorse who mm-hmm. gives birth to the babies and the sea spiders that carry the babies and the race fish who can change gender at will. The, the ancient sea snail, who's the original transgender, millions of years for the species to survive by switching from male to female. And rather than shaming the bullies, the manatee educates them as to how there's room for all of us in this world. Oh, so it's a beautiful story yes. of inclusion and, and diversity. And it's also introducing children to the concept of frequency because there's always, after each lesson, there's a, a beautiful frequency that plays in the bubble to solidify the lesson. And so I'm really proud of it. So Absolutely. It's where I'm going to try to address as many different aspects of every walk of life as possible so that everyone can find themselves in children's literature. Oh, I just love that. That, I don't, ah, kudos to you, girl. That is amazing. I am so proud of you for that. I mean, I write books too, and um, I write fiction books. <laughs> so <laughs> I know. Uh, no easy, easy task, let me well, tell you. Well, and I meant to tell you this, um, and not to take away from your spiel, and I may take this out, but when I was writing Graveyard Watchmen, it's about angels and demons. Of course, you want the angels to to prevail and all the things. But there were times when the angels, some were part human, some were all angel, but when the half humans would make mistakes, they would have to go to the council. That's what I would call them. And even when I even when I wrote this book, I knew that they would not punish them. They would make them understand. And they had pretty much already punished themselves because they were so distraught at what had happened. And that was their punishment. And what did you learn from it? And I did that without even, I just, it never occurred to me for them to punish them uh, in that term. Does that make sense? So anyway, I just thought that was kind of neat that we, we've been talking yeah, about interesting this. You'd call them the council because if you read any of my books, I've been working with a, a group called the Council for uh, 12 interdimensional beings. Are, oh, my God. Um, are you serious? <laughs> all of my life. Yep. And that's what I call them. Isn't that funny? So 
Anyway. Mm-hmm. Okay. But so tell everyone about any of your other books, your website, how they can get in touch with you. I have a new one coming out hopefully this week on Audible. It should be ready to roll. We're just waiting for, there's a 30 day upload. So we're nearly there. And I am so excited about this one because this is the first book in Audible history that is frequency based. So as it's called Understanding is the New Healing. And these are the actual stories from healing sessions over the years with individuals that'll just knock your socks off. And it talks about everything from past lives, concurrent lives, cancers, visits from otherworldly beings, uh, you name it, it is in there. And these are a smattering of some of my favorite stories over the years and the healing sessions that I facilitated. But I have taken these frequencies that were developed by Greg Papagna, and he laid these behind the tracks so that if I'm speaking about a particular subject matter, The identical scenario might not have happened to the listener, but something similar that they can relate to is now taking them into an immersive as opposed to just an auditory experience where they are hearing the frequency behind the story. It allows them to connect with that and potentially heal themselves from any stored trauma from something similar in their own lives. Wow. And I am so, so excited about this. I'm going to totally download that one (laughs) because... We all need a little healing here and there. So I'm all about that. Yeah. So it works with different brainwave states. Um, you know, it's altering the brainwave state for the for the person to fully absorb. So it's truthfully an immersive experience. And that's called understanding is the new healing. Basically, everything I do is on my website, which is MaryHelenHensley.com. Yeah. So just some really exciting projects coming up and I'm just keeping on, keeping on. And well, I tell you, you are all over the web and all over these podcasts. And honestly, that's the best way to get the word out. Because uh, if I tell you, I can't thank you enough for joining me today. It's been eye opening and you are the longest uh, interview I've done so far. So <laughs> and, no, and no, you were worth every second I spent with you. You were laughing at the beginning going, Oh my God, do you want to tell the story again? I'm telling you this, this is not a word of a lie. Every time I talk about it, I get so excited and it's like it's happening for the very first time. And that is the beauty of having had an experience like that and being able to appreciate everything. And if, if people take one thing from this, it's remembering, you know, that any beautiful tapestry, it takes the dark and the light threads. And if you can get yourself into a space where you can sit in a moment of true distress or sadness or difficulty or whatever great challenge it is, and you can remember that that moment is happening for you and the individual who might be making your life a living hell or the sadness you feel by the departure of a loved one, that that all was happening for your own progression as a soul and that you will always always meet these beings again you they're part of your story and yeah just simply different manifestations of that same one love look you can't mess this thing up that's the biggest thing you can't mess this thing up and the more fun you have along the way the easier the ride is girl that is the best and you know and vodka let's let's just face it <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not gonna lie all right no thank you again girl Well, I'm just so grateful because, look, people like me might have these great stories and all these things that we want to tell, but without people like you, we can't tell them. So I am just eternally grateful for you having the courage and taking the time in your own busy life to make a platform for me to tell my story. If you like what you heard, please leave me a five-star review. It'll help my podcast out and more people will be able to listen. Also, I am a novelist and write paranormal romance. All my books are available on Amazon.com, so check me out. And you can also reach me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. 
Thank you guys all for your support and I'll talk to you next week.